0: To Jonah 3 on page 654, we can find it together, 655, Jonah chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust then he issued a proclamation in nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles do not let any man or beast herd or flock taste anything do not let them eat or drink but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth let everyone call urgently on god let them give up their evil ways and their violence who knows god may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened.
1: Our second reading is from Romans 1, verses 18 to 32, and that's on page 796 of your Bibles. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men, and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion furthermore since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of god he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what they ought to do what ought not to be done they have become filled with every kind of wickedness evil greed and depravity they are full of envy strife envy murder strife deceit and malice they are gossips slanderers god-haters insolent arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree and that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them.
2: I met, my name is Paul. It's nice to see you. I've got a bit of a cold, so please excuse the, the croaky voice. Uh, let me uh, commend to you next uh, Saturday night is our Mission Focus Weekend. Uh, here's what I've been praying for for Mission Focus Weekend. I've been praying that God would raise up men and women from this congregation, from this church, who would actually go. It's a bold prayer to pray, but not just learn about mission, but actually go somewhere within Sydney, outside of Sydney, outside of Australia, and serve the Lord. So that's my prayer, that next weekend we'll be encouraged, but also emboldened and empowered to go. Uh, this week, um, I received the the very sad news, but the good news, of John Stott, who passed away at age 90. He was really one of the, the great uh, forefathers of the faith, if you want he had a massive impact on me personally through his writings. Um, and as I came to prepare the sermon this week, what I was really struck by was that John Stott really taught me how to make sure that you preach through the whole of scriptures. You don't duck bits of scriptures because you don't like what it says. And in many ways, as we come to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, It would be very easy to duck this part of Scripture because we don't like what it says. I don't know whether you've ever been offended by a safety campaign. You know, those those drink-driving campaigns where they are so horrific and so disturbing that actually it shocks you and you are offended by them or the anti-smoking campaigns, where those, those, those graphic images are so horrific, it sort of makes you sit up, and you, you're, you're utterly shocked by them. Now, why do they do that? Why do those drink-driving campaigners or anti-smoking campaigners have those offensive adverts on TV? See, sometimes if you want to warn people of danger, you run the risk of offending people. If you want to warn people of danger, you run the risk of offending people. And I say that because our passage tonight, I think, will offend people. It's dark, it is politically incorrect, it's intolerant, it's offensive, but this is the Word of God, this is the truth. You see, in Romans chapter 1, we're working our way through Romans He says in verse 16 that the gospel, the good news is the power of God, the dynamite of God for the salvation or for the deliverance of everybody. That is great news, isn't it? That in the gospel of Jesus Christ, everybody can be saved. That is the joy of the gospel, that Jesus died so that you might be saved. But saved from what? What are you being saved from? Here it is. Romans 1 verse 18. It's on the screen. It's on the screen. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Let me just say, this is not Paul's judgment on his contemporaries. This is God's judgment on all of mankind. This is not a picture of an especially bad people. This is the truth about you and me and our friends and our family and our world. These verses are very unpopular. But as as politically incorrect this language may be, we've got to grapple with these verses. God's wrath being revealed against wickedness. In the last week, we've seen wickedness on a massive scale, haven't we? You know, the, the massacre in Norway? That is wickedness. But in many ways, we see it on a much smaller scale every day of our lives. The greed of many when others are starving. The lying of people who we entrusted with power. And in our society, stuff that is now acceptable and just the norm is wicked, wicked, and wicked. We have a depraved mind, depraved behavior. It's become totally acceptable. And let me say with this, this chapter, this passage, it is only when you have grasped the seriousness of God's wrath and his attitude towards wickedness that you will begin to glimpse how glorious, how wonderful, how majestic the love of God in Christ really is. You will never understand the wonder of the gospel unless you first grasp the offensive wrath of God, if you want. You need to hear these verses you do, I do, your friend, your family member who thinks that they're good and upright, they need to hear these verses. So let's unpack these verses. I've got just, just two, two very simple headings tonight. The first one is, is our wickedness. Our wickedness. Look at verse 18 again. The wrath of God is being revealed, not will be revealed at, at end time judgment, but is now being revealed against or the godlessness, that is everything anti-God, the wrong behavior, the wrong attitude towards God, and the the wickedness, that is the wrong behavior and the wrong attitude towards other people. And it's just saying that God is really angry with his people. He is rightly angry with his people because they are wicked. Now what kind of wickedness is he talking about? Well, it's there in verse 24. It's the Sexual impurity where we degrade our bodies with one another. It's there in verses 26 and 27 with lesbianism and homosexuality where we commit indecent acts with the same sex. It's there in verse 29. The evil, the greed, the depravity, the envy, the murder, the strife, the deceit, the malice, the gossip, the slandering, the God-hating, the insolence, the arrogance, the boastful, etc., etc., etc. That is wickedness and that's our world. Now, if I go to the doctor tomorrow and say to him, I've got this really bad headache I've had for three days. I hope he just doesn't give me two palindoles and say, off you go. I hope he actually investigates what is the root cause of my headache. And it's the same with us and our society. We can look at these words like greed and envy and murder and gossip and slander. They're just the symptoms. They're just the sins. What is the root cause? And the root cause is there in verse 18. Our wickedness is caused by what, verse 18? By suppression of the truth. The wickedness of men who suppress the truth about God. We hold down, we hinder, we obstruct, and we conceal the truth about God. So according to Paul... Every man, woman, and child knows something about God. We've all got some knowledge of God. That's what he says in verse 19 since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. He's talking about what we can know about God without a Bible. And of course, without a Bible, there's lots of stuff that you cannot know about God. But there's lots of stuff that you can know about God without a Bible. Because God has made it known. How has he made it known? Verse 20. Through his creation. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen. He's just saying, you don't need a Bible to see that God is great. You don't need a Bible to see that that God is God. You don't need the Bible to see that God has always been there. He's saying, the invisible God has made himself known through his His handiwork, if you want, that is his creation. Uh, Go out tonight, sit on North Heads, uh, hear the the waves pounding against the rocks, look at the sky, and you're supposed to say, there is a God, and he must be great, and he must be powerful to create all of this. And because of that, because God has made himself known, according to verse 20, men are without excuse. Men and women are without excuse. And again, he's not saying that without a Bible you can know everything about God, but he's saying that just by looking at creation, you know enough about God to be guilty if you don't seek Him. The classic question of simply Christianity is always uh, what about those who have never heard about Jesus? It's a good question. People don't really ask what about those who've never heard about God. Because in many ways you can't ask that. You can't ask that question because we've all heard about God just by existing and breathing and living in this world. We're supposed to say there must be a God. And this is such a serious truth because when every man, woman, and child stands before the judgment throne of God, we will all be speechless. you ever been speechless? Remember standing... Uh, before my mum and dad as a teenager, being accused of stealing mon- money from my mum's purse. And I was speechless. Because I'd done it. I was guilty. Ever had that feeling where you know that you've done it and you're standing before the person and you are speechless? That's kind of what Paul is saying here. There is no excuse. Look at verse 21. They knew God not that personal relationship with God, but they knew about God. They knew about the godness of God. They'd, they'd experienced his power, that the rain and the sun on their back and the breath that they take. They knew God, but they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. No honor, no thanks. Instead, they did this crazy exchange. Verse 23. They exchanged the glory of the immortal, immortal incorruptible, majestic God, they exchange that for images of birds and animals and reptiles. See, what is our wickedness? Our wickedness is really suppressing the truth about God and this crazy exchange. Isn't it crazy where you exchange something of real value for something that is of no value? When you exchange something of real worth for something that's worthless. It's like going to to cash converses and exchanging your iPad 2 for an Etch-a-Sketch. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's crazy. And yet, says Paul, you do it all the time. You exchange something beautiful and majestic and good called the glory of God, and you exchange that for something where it is totally worthless. You exchange it for images made to look like man and bird and animals and reptiles. This is going to sound offensive, but tonight as we speak, throughout the world, millions of people are doing that. They are bowing down to wooden idols of Hinduism. They are praying to golden statues of Buddha. And they're exchanging the glory of God for an idol that can't speak and can't hear and can't act and can't save. And we do that. We exchange wisdom for foolishness. Verse 21, their thinking became futile, pointless. We think that we are intelligent and enlightened, but we, we leave God out of the equation. And Paul says that's futile thinking. And more than that, verse 25, they exchange the truth of God for a lie, or literally the lie. It's back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Does God really know? And I have to say that's the pathetic lie that you and I exchange every single day. The great lie that you are the center of this world and God doesn't know and God doesn't care. You were made to praise God. You were made to worship Him as your creator. And you exchange that truth for the pathetic lie that created things can satisfy you. Verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshipped and served created things. That's idolatry, isn't it? The things that we choose to bow down to, anything that, makes, that matters most to you in your life. You know what your idols are. The things that, if it was taken away from you, that your life would not be worth living. I reckon for me, a couple of years ago, Exercise was my idol. It was. I lived for it. It consumed my time, my money, my conversation. We, we, we worship things like like money and exercise and relationships and information thinking that they were satisfied, but they never do. and we suppress that truth and we buy the lie. look down to verse 32 although they know God's righteous decrees, they, they know what is right and wrong, they have a conscience. We all have a conscience that those who do such things deserve death, that God is right to judge them. They not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice them. They applaud all the wickedness that's around them. And In terms of our society, our world, doesn't Romans 1 Accurately portray it. Envy, greed, depravity, slandering, arrogance, boastful, God-haters, doing evil, senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. We live in a world where our financial system promotes debt and greed. And we live in a society where our food industry promotes gluttony, where there are people starving in other parts of the world. And we live in a world where a political group has so convinced our world that the homosexual lifestyle is normal and valid and fun, and to think otherwise, you're automatically homophobic. Now, what is wickedness? It is suppressing the truth that you know about God. It is making this crazy exchange and buying the lie. And there are consequences when you do that, friends. I love this phrase by an English preacher called Christopher Ash. He says, disordered worship leads to disordered affections. Disordered worship leads to disordered affections. He's saying if you stop worshiping God as your creator, you, you will place your affections, your desires, in things that, are, that will never satisfy you if you get your worship of God wrong, then you will lead lives which are full of gossip and slander and evil and arrogance. So that's our wickedness. It's not a pretty picture. It's a picture of our world. It's a picture of me. And I'm guessing it's a picture of you as well. But let me say, if that was your biggest problem, your wickedness, our wickedness, the world's wickedness, we could actually solve that problem. You have some moral reforms and better education and philosophical debates. We could solve the problems of the world. Let me give you a bigger problem, bigger than our wickedness. My second point it is God's wrath. Our wickedness and God's wrath. That's the problem with our world. Look at verse 18. Again on the screen, the, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. I know that truth is unpopular today, that God is a God of wrath. And society has suppressed it. Theologians have suppressed it, the church has suppressed it. So the fact that I'm talking tonight about the wrath of God is almost ridiculous. And it is hard to preach on the wrath of God. I've had loved ones who have died without Christ. It's very hard to preach on the wrath of God. But without a right understanding of God's wrath, then your understanding of God will be sub-Christian. It says in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed. The anger of God. God is angry. Not like your anger, it's not an irrational, violent, driven by selfishness, desire for revenge kind of anger. God's wrath is his personal, settled, measured, active opposition to anything that's evil. It's his holy hostility to to the wrong and his, his just anger at injustice. It's his personal anger. At our wickedness. Now, what shocked me of these verses is a couple of words in verse 18. It doesn't say the wrath of God will be revealed on Judgment Day. It will be. On Judgment Day, we'll all sit before the throne and his wrath will be poured out. But it says in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed we see the wrath of God today. And this is the the shock or the shudder in this passage. Now, now how are we seeing the wrath of God being poured out today? How are we seeing the wrath of God shown today? Paul doesn't talk about earthquakes and thunders and floods and famines. How does God show his wrath today? The horror for me is in verses 24, 26, and 28. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Verse 28, since they didn't think it worthwhile to attain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to depraved mind. How does God show his wrath today? According to Paul in Romans 1, it's by the quiet, ongoing, everyday handing people over the depraved lives that they choose to live. God does more than just merely leave us to ourselves. He actively hands us over to more and more rebellious acts. I hope you're clear on that. It's not just that our wickedness will be punished on that last day. It's not just that God's wrath will be poured out on that last day against greed and arrogance and deceit and same-sex acts. It's that God's wrath is being poured out now. In a way, these things are God's wrath being poured out now. As God gives his people up to lifestyles that are more and more evil and more and more godless. How is God's wrath seen today? An increasingly selfish, increasingly depraved, increasingly godless society. That's how God's wrath is shown today. And I love this country. I love Australia. That's why I came here. It's a beautiful country with much to be thankful for. But we're becoming more and more godless and more and more wicked. And is it perhaps that God is handing us over? Our society refuses to accept that we're just creatures. And so God pours out his wrath and says, okay, go on then. You think that would be great? Go on, do it. Do it. I was trying to grapple with a good illustration for this. This is the best I could come up with. It's like you're, you're on a boat in the harbor and it's a beautiful place to be. It's a bit lucky at times, but it's a beautiful place to be. But if you choose to go through the heads, you get your cheap thrills. Hey, it's going to be fun, it's going to be dangerous, it's going to be awesome. It's almost like, you know, God has got a rope on our boat. He's in control of it, but him handing us over is God letting out more and more and more rope. And saying, okay, off you go. You think that would be awesome and great thrills and cheap thrills, but go on, you do it. He never loses control, but he permits us to get into deeper and deeper and deeper trouble as we revel more and more in cheaper and cheaper thrills. It's there in verse 24, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God let them go about their sinful ways, immersing them in this more and more sexually immoral society. It's there again in verse 26 and 27. I know this is a very painful and a sensitive topic God gave them over, verse 26, to shameful lusts. Their women exchanged natural relations with unnatural ones, and the men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. It's not whether your sexuality is natural to you, whether it's my nature, it's whether it's according to God's nature, and God created men to have sex with women and women to have sex with men. How is God showing his wrath? By handing them over to these shameful lusts and impassioned desires and instant gratification. I do find it fascinating every year that, that Sydney is in the, the headlines, not for some great sporting triumph or not for some great medical advance, but for some parade where men and women. Flaunt their sexuality. How do you expect God to pour his wrath out on that? You get all these little holy huddles of Christians praying for rain or protesting with little placards, and no. Could it be perhaps according to Romans 1 that the way that God shows his wrath is just by allowing it to happen? Just by allowing it to happen every year. Verse 28. Since they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to depraved minds to do what they ought not to do. They've become filled, look at that word, filled, overflowing with every kind of wickedness. This list is not exhaustive. God hands us over to more and more evil and greed and depravity and envy and murder and strife and deceit. They're full of these things. Look at verse 31. Look at the less. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And the truth is, isn't it, that this list here, if we're honest, this list no longer shocks us. Because this is what we come to expect every day. And that's why verse 32 has come true. That they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who who practice them. See, rather than sitting here thinking, well, one day there'll be judgment, we're supposed to sit, look at our society and say, this is judgment. This is a godless world, a depraved society with messed up people, with depression and devastation and greed and bulleting, bullying, and this is God's wrath as people suppress the truth. I told you, <laughs> you might be offended by tonight. Our wickedness God's wrath. And isn't that why we we cry out for a saviour? Isn't that why you need Jesus? Because please don't read Romans 1 and just think about all the people out there. Romans 1 is about you and about me. And we are totally lost unless God steps in And saves us. And when you've understood this. Then you read the gospel. And you hear those words of Jesus on the cross. And he he cries out. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you poured out all your wrath on me? I don't deserve this. He didn't deserve it. I did. And you did. But that's the glory of the gospel, isn't it? And what this sermon does tonight, my friends, is that it causes you to look afresh at, at your friends and your family. I don't care how nice they are, how beautiful they are, how intelligent they are, what they need to hear is the gospel of Jesus. Because they are all under the wrath of God. And again, I'm guessing that makes some of you angry. You know, when you go to the doctors and he gives you the diagnosis, oh, it's cancer. You leave angry. But that anger leads to thankfulness because the disease has been exposed and there's a treatment there for you. All I'm saying tonight is that God is exposing our disease. It's called wickedness. And his wrath. And when you've understood that, you look into the face of Jesus. And you do say, how wonderful. How marvelous. How marvelous that he would die for me. Amazing love. What sacrifice. The Son of God given for me. God is right to be angry. Angry at me, angry at you. That's why he sent his Son. And that's why we say, Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we we come to you as a God of wrath. Father, we acknowledge that you are right and just to be angry with our world and with us and we acknowledge all the way that we have suppressed the truth and we have bought the lie. Father, I plead with you to have mercy on this city. I beg of you, Lord, please show your mercy and your kindness. Please show Jesus to people and please transform our city and our world by the glory of the gospel.